0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Galatians chapter 2. We will read verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, now I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. You may be seated, well I'll figure this out. Um I am grateful for God's love. There's um my uh There's times when um, my mom uh, died around Easter and um, she loved Dan's songs, so I didn't do any of this at Thanksgiving, even though it was the first Thanksgiving without my mom. There's just those, for me it's just been moments, so sorry. She loved Dan's songs because they're so biblical, too. And um, all week long I've been struggling with what to say because, I mean, how can I help people see what angels long to see? And that's my prayer. So let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us see and know what angels long to see, a love they would never know. And we praise you, Father, because without your wonderful grace, we would never know it either. So exalt Christ today before us and help us see the one who loved us and gave himself for us for the praise of your glorious grace, we pray, amen. All right, now I'm going to try and get myself together here because it's only 1110, so got to figure this thing out. All right, so um, one uh, day in high school, uh, I remember very vividly, probably my junior year, I think, it wasn't my senior year, but um, we had a substitute teacher, and you know, uh, substitutes don't get a whole lot of respect, and they can struggle to keep everyone in line, and on this particular day, that sub struggled, and our class, I mean, it was, it was ridiculously rowdy, Um, And of course, uh, I'm the perfect firstborn child, just going to say that, that's why my mom loved me so much, no, I'm just kidding. Um, And uh, I was a really good Pharisee, still am, uh, and uh, at times when that old self rears its head. Um, And on that particular day, when civilization unraveled around me, I did not join in. Uh, I still got detention like everyone else did, though, when the principal stormed in the classroom, because during the chaos, no one saw the subs slip out to get help. And the principal came in yelling, screaming, laying down the law in hopes that probably of deterring other classes from treating subs like that. Now, hold on to that for a second, because I introduce today's sermon with that story, because we've had to slow down in this section of Galatians because there's just so much to soak in. Uh, And when we slow down, we can study the tree and look at the tree, but then we can forget that we're standing in the forest. So let's recall the overall context of these verses. Uh, Galatians was written uh, by Paul because a group of false teachers arrived after he had left and started preaching a different gospel, which was really no gospel at all. And we don't know exactly what the false teachers came and said, but we have a pretty good idea from the way Paul argues throughout the letter. And here in Galatians 2, it seems part of what the false teachers argued was if justification uh, isn't by works of the law, works at all, then that makes Christ a servant of sin, right? Similarly to when the real teacher is away and the classroom gets out of hand, if there's no law, lawlessness ensues. If it's all grace, that leads to more sin, right? And in verses 18 and 19, Paul answers that charge, first negatively. He says, certainly not. For those with faith in Christ have died to the law through the law. Their old self is dead. They're now alive to God. They're dead to the law and living to sin. They're now alive to God. Christ isn't a servant of sin. He's a savior from sin, right? And then in verse 20, Paul continues his answer to the Judaizers' charge of that Christ is a servant of sin, and he does so positively now. First it was negatively, then he turns to the positive answer. Dying to the law in Jesus doesn't make Jesus a servant of sin because by faith you no longer live. You, you no longer live, for Christ lives in you. He frees you from sin to real life. He isn't free you to keep on sinning. He frees you to live alive in him. And last week we saw being alive in Christ simply means we have a new nature Oriented around, centered on, fueled by Christ. To be a Christian is not only to be dead to self, to be a Christian is to be dead to self and also alive now in Christ. Jesus then isn't a means to another end. Even really good ends like freedom from guilt and shame, eternal life, forgiveness of our sins, reconciliation with God, and countless more biblical good blessings amazing blessings that really are ours in Jesus Christ. But those things aren't our salvation. Those things aren't the end. Jesus is. And so to be a Christian is to be alive in Jesus Christ. And that was the what of Paul's answer in verse 20. Now the rest of verse 20, which we're going to focus on today, the second half of it, then deals with the how and the why. If that's the what, christian to be a christian is to be someone who's alive in jesus well what does that look like how does that work out and then why why would we do so so the how and the why and those are our two points how are we to live now in light of the fact that we're united with jesus we're dead to the law and alive in him how does that practically work and then two why would we do it why why would you walk out of here and do the how so first the how the how we live by faith To be a Christian is to be a person who lives by faith. Look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh, or excuse me, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Have you heard someone ever say uh, before about someone else or about themselves, I came to faith in Jesus? I came to faith in Jesus, and let's just think the best of that phrase for for practical purposes here, that we we know faith is all of grace. The phrase, I came to faith, what does that make faith sound like? Makes faith sound like it's just something that happened in the past. I came, past tense. Now I'm here. There was this one day, now I'm here. Like faith is an act that only occurs on the front end of the christian life now faith does happen at a point in time in real time and space when god opens your a person's eyes to see the depth of their sin and shows them the glory and beauty of jesus and they turn to him in faith that happens in time and space yes we were saved before the foundation of the world but there comes a time when god by grace brings those he saved from before the foundation of the world when they're alive then dead in sin then back alive through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ but notice Paul enlarges our view of faith when he says God not only makes his people alive by faith in Jesus rather than by works that's what he's been talking about for much of the chapter two here in Galatians he says it's not only that but they, verse 20, it says, faith is also how you continue the life Jesus, or God gives you in Jesus. Faith is the start of the Christian life, but it doesn't stop there. It's how you continue living daily if you're alive to God. When Five Points called Becky and I here in May of twenty. Uh, 2006 we lived in louisville and when we first arrived we uh, came with our moving truck and we stored much of it and lived in a family's basement for three months until we bought our house in august and we were so excited about owning a house for the first time we didn't realize what all came along with all the <laughs> joys of owning a house now i'm not in you know i'm not just talking about the mortgage all the things anything breaks you know you're not renting. You own it. It's your problem, right? So we didn't know all that. We, we were so excited, and we closed on it, and we got the keys. Now imagine after all that, after signing the papers and tying ourselves to a mortgage, and we've made that house truly ours. We have the keys in our hand. We go and look back to the basement. What do you think those people would do when we showed up on their front door? and then back to living in the basement. What would you all think if for a couple more months we didn't stop living in that basement? You're like, they bought a house, but they're still... Y'all would think, I'm not so sure we hired the right guy. <laughs> right? But isn't that how many people live the Christian life? The papers are signed. It's all truly yours. And yet you go back to living in the basement. As if faith is only the singular moment in the past when God united you to Jesus and made you alive in him and your eternity is secure but it has no bearing on every day between that moment God made you alive and the last day as if life is your own that's like going back to living in the basement that's what Paul's been arguing about and will continue to argue through the rest of this letter That we don't just come to faith in Jesus, we live by faith in Jesus. That faith not only begins our life in Jesus, faith is how you continue to live your life daily if you're alive to God. That's what we saw last week in the beginning of verse 20. It is no longer I who live. You don't physically die when by faith God crucified you with Jesus, but something died. The I died. Christians no longer live for themselves because when by faith God crucified you with Christ, you not only died to the law, you died to self. You no longer live. Your life is no longer your own. So to be a Christian is to be someone characterized by faith. When when so-and-so sees, when they say, oh, that's Dave, sorry, Dave, you're just like the tallest dude, and you're wearing a red shirt, which is, you know, Christmassy, and it just stands out. Sorry, not picking on Dave. But, you know, when someone sees Dave walking down the street, they don't just say, that's a tall man. If they know him, they see him interacting, they say, that's what it means to live by faith. Dave, Dave lives by faith. JJ lives by faith. Of all the things you can be known for, what are you known for? A Christian is characterized that their life is no longer their own, they live by faith. Daily dead to self, they're daily alive to God. So living by faith is to orient yourself around God's word. That you do stand out. That you view the world, define the world, see the world and everything in it through the lens of what of how God sees it and how he teaches us, his values. We live our life around God's word and live according to everything God says. Now in another letter to another church, 2 Corinthians, in chapters four and five, Paul says we walk by faith and not by what? Sight, Sight. because we live in a world that is temporary and passing away. If you live by sight, you're not living by faith. You're gonna live by what you see, but what we see is temporary and passing away. We must live for the eternal, Paul says to the Corinthians. So here's another phrase. Maybe you've heard this one. Live in the moment. Live in the moment. Now, if that means get your face out of your phone and be present with the people around you, that's true. That's not what we're talking about though, right? Live in the moment. But if that means to live for the now, to live according to the values of this world of now, then Christians must be characterized as people who never live in the moment We must be irrelevant when people say, well, that's how we should live our lives. It should be strange to the world around us that we don't live like this world is all there is. Christians never live in the moment because this world is passing away. And that takes faith, doesn't it? This is what Paul argues elsewhere in the first letter to the Corinthians, right? He says, if you live like this, but Christ is not alive, then you're an idiot. He says it way nicer than that. He says you should be pitied because you're a fool. If Christ isn't alive, what are you doing here? I'm not that interesting. I was a blubbering fool 10 minutes ago, right? I got nothing to say. I mean, everything I say is right here. I'm not very creative. I mean, you could get your phones out right now and start watching more things entertaining than this. And you should, if Jesus is not alive. That's right, Harry. (laughs) It doesn't bother me. It's true. (laughs) You should. You're wasting your life if Jesus isn't alive. Go eat, drink, and be merry. Because tomorrow you die. And I was telling Harry just a few minutes ago it might not even be tomorrow, it might be today. But then what does Paul say? But Jesus is alive and that changes everything are you living like jesus is alive that's what it means to live by faith we see this throughout the old testament a faith like joseph's who by faith ran out of a house of a married woman opening her bed for him and what did that get him years in prison he lived by faith Because he crucified the passions of the flesh in that moment. He pursued God. He pursued holiness because by faith he believed God's word and the promises God held out to him. Which then Jesus translates this way in a commentary about our desires. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the things of this world. No, for righteousness. Then he says, why? For, because you shall be satisfied. To live on the promise that sin never satisfies, that it only leads to death and destruction, and to live like that daily in the world, which you can see, and it doesn't see, seem like it's passing away. All the pleasures around us seem like they're real. But to say they won't satisfy, and if I hunger and thirst, it's because God created me for something, but not for these things, to be satisfied by something more, and to live on that takes faith That if I don't pursue the pleasures of this world, I will be satisfied in a way that these sins and uh, temporary pleasures can never satisfy. That takes faith. A faith like Moses's. Listen to Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of egypt and by the way egypt was the richest empire greater wealth than the treasures of egypt for because why because he was looking to the reward he had rewards all around him and he was like those aren't rewards he was looking to the true reward which hebrews eleven six says is found when we seek god we live in a day when living by god's word is becoming more and more of a reproach aren't we and I don't know about you, but my natural inclination isn't to view reproach as wealth. Do you? When people revile you and say things about you and persecute you, do you say, man, my bank account is full? I don't. I don't usually equate reproach with wealth. My natural inclination is to view money as wealth, and financial security as wealth, safety as wealth, But it's living by faith to choose to believe, living to God, living alive to God by faith. And any reproach that comes with that is greater wealth than anything this world has to offer. That takes faith, that's living by faith. Because let's be honest, this world has a lot to offer. There is lots of satisfaction to be had all around us. The question isn't, can this world satisfy but can it truly satisfy where is true satisfaction found where is a satisfaction that ends our every longing where will we find true reward a reward that makes all the riches of this world look like the penny Owen found in the couch cushions the other day and only only Owen would be pumped about that can I keep this penny I was like yeah it's all yours, man. I'm the greatest dad of all time. But <laughs> well, isn't that funny? How many pennies are in your car right now? What can make the riches of the world look like that to you? The eyes of faith. I mean, that's what Psalm 1611 is all about, isn't it? When you look around and you see a world filled with pleasure, how do you see it as death? rather than satisfaction. When by faith you say, at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. Why go after things that will never satisfy and actually lead to death? It's living by faith that says no to that and yes to God. It's living by faith that believes, as Hebrews 11, Matthew 5 said, God rewards those who seek him, and God satisfies those who hunger after him. And to be a Christian is to live a life of faith in Jesus, not just at the beginning, but from the beginning to end. And Paul's confidence when he woke up every morning wasn't anything he had or did. It was Christ now. That's what he meant. The old self is dead. His old way of life, dead. Now, Christ. Paul's purpose each day wasn't to live for himself, but for Christ. Why? Because Christ is king. Christ is king. It takes faith to say to all the ads we're already seeing about a a presidential election two years from now, that Christ is king. He'll still be king. He's king today. He'll be king tomorrow. He's going to reign forever. doesn't mean those don't matter. It just means you have the eyes of faith to say, my life is for Christ. Because he's king. That's living by faith. And Paul reminded himself every day that though he was alive He was alive in Christ. It was Christ who lived in him. And the life he lived, he lived by faith. Moment by moment. And this is not a Christian thing, friends. Living by faith is not just a Christian thing. You might be in here and maybe your faith isn't in God. You're still living by faith. It's just that your faith isn't in God. Everyone lives by faith. Everyone everywhere trusts something, hopes in something, whatever it might be. It's just that your faith isn't in God. It's in yourself. It's in your riches. It's in your job. It's in your pleasure-seeking. It's in your ambitions. You live by faith that God isn't real, that he doesn't see, that Jesus isn't coming again, that all things will not be made new, that, that Paul's right. Everyone that believes this is an idiot. So tomorrow we might die, so let's eat, drink, and be me merry. Your faith is in that That's true. The question isn't, do you have faith? But rather, what is your faith in? Because everyone hopes and trusts and believes in something. So will what your faith in lead you to life and joy and satisfaction, both now and forever? And that's why Paul doesn't just say he lives by faith. How does he live? Not just by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God that's faith that's biblical faith and brothers and sisters can you say the same along with Paul not that just that you came to faith but you live by faith daily in Jesus does that shape how you work how you parent how you interact with your friends and your neighbors and your family does it shape how you go into every conversation or interaction Does living by faith characterize how you work through your to-do list each day That Christ is King. That I'm doing this alive in Him. That Christ is my life. Now, throughout the rest of the letter, Paul's going to unpack this, especially in chapter 5. This is life in the Holy Spirit, animated by the Holy Spirit. A life alive in Jesus produces the fruit of the Spirit. But for now, We we are alive by this faith in Jesus, and it's the Spirit who animates us. So do we pray for the grace necessary to live out the reality of this union with Jesus daily? So that people so that when people do see you, what they see isn't you. When they say, that's I now I'm afraid to say anybody's name, right? That's so-and-so, but that's not really so-and-so. That's Jesus. You see, that's an entirely different life, orienting my life around faith in Jesus. That's an entirely different life than thinking faith is only exercised at the beginning of the Christian life. A life like this is a life that doesn't go back into the basement, but it lives out that new home of faith in Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean faith isn't by grace, it is. Faith is all by grace. But notice for Paul, that doesn't mean he does nothing. That doesn't mean he doesn't have anything to do. It's not that he doesn't strive for anything. It's just that faith has changed his striving. He, it's not that he doesn't strive for anything. His striving's changed. It's changed from law-keeping to Christ-living. It's changed his hope. It's changed his purpose for getting up in the morning. He doesn't say, okay, now I've got to keep the law again today. His hope isn't in his, in his own power to keep the law. But his hope is in Christ, all by grace, through faith, because of the Spirit in Him, living every day dead to self and alive to God. It's all by grace, but to be alive to God means to live daily by faith. All right, that's the how. That's the how. Now two, secondly, the why. The why. Well, if that's how we live, why would we do it? In a world that's passing away, what's the motivation to keep on living this way? And quite simply, the why is the gospel. The why is the gospel. If we're honest, this world does seem like it's all there is, doesn't it? When you wake up, that's what you see. And if you're not preaching the gospel to yourself, it will become more and more untemporary. And the things that are unseen will become, will become less and less to mind. You'll think those are the things that are passing away. And what I can see is what's actually real. And this world has seemingly endless pleasures and pursuits to give ourselves to. So why would the Christian daily die to self and to all that and live to God? The gospel. The gospel. Now this past week, I wore my Michigan Wolverine gear daily. Daily. And I was really good last Sunday, so you're going to bear with me for a moment. <laughs> I wore it. I wore it every day. Becky's like, I'm doing laundry. Got your stuff ready. Right? Right? she knew she knew she had it all i had my monday gear my tuesday gear my wednesday gear my sleep gear my morning gear my exercise gear my rub it in melinda's face gear i had my clothes right so i got up every morning looking for that because we beat this team last saturday pretty badly (laughs) pretty badly right And I was also really excited for last night's game, the Big Ten championship, and the college football playoffs. I was really looking forward. So I got up every morning looking for my Michigan clothes. All right, now that's it. (laughs) That felt good, but... Okay, now now stick with me for a moment. To live by faith, we must clothe ourselves in the gospel every morning and revel in it. It happened... 4523 I'm going to say that score to my Buckeye friends for the rest of the year Forty-five twenty-three. <laughs> Jesus every morning I was a sinner but God Hallelujah. but God I'm going to clothe my every morning I'm going to look for it it happened in the past but I'm going to revel it in the present and reveling in the gospel is exactly what Paul does in verse 20 It fuels this living by faith. It fuels it. He can't do it on its own. God doesn't expect it to do it on its own. He doesn't say, you gotta do this. I did it, now you gotta do this living by faith. No, the power for living by faith is preaching the gospel to yourself, reveling in it. It fuels his life in Christ and it will fuel ours as well. And look at the two things. So two things of the gospel that Paul highlights for the why at the end of verse 20. First, Jesus loved you. Jesus loved you. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And our time, as I said last week, is the time of self. It's the age of self. The individual does reign supreme. But one of the dangers in the recent resurgence of the doctrines of grace and the gospel in our time, which salvation is all of God, by God, for God. All that's true to the praise of His glorious grace. And God recently in this resurgence has taken His rightful place of owning all the glory in salvation but what was often removed from the picture entirely was you and there's good reason for it because we humans so often make everything about us there was that one song in the 70s before i was born you think this song is about you don't you don't you right what's that exactly whoever that was okay there you go carly simon right And she's a Buckeye fan. (laughs) It's real easy for us to make everything about us. It's our natural inclination. Just like we don't view reproach as wealth, we view us as the center of everything. And so, it was a good thing to to remake, to refine, to re... to to recover God's rightful place at the center of salvation. But the Bible doesn't ignore or get rid of the individual when it places God at the center of salvation. What's the first thing Paul highlights in verse 20 when getting lost in the glory of the gospel? He said, Jesus loved me. It doesn't undermine God's glory to say Jesus went to the cross because he loved you. In fact, it's one reason Paul gives for living by daily faith in Jesus. It's the first reason he gives. Jesus loved me. Now, we must be careful to not let us resume the center and think it is all about us. But the way to not let the pendulum swing back from God to us when reveling in God's love for sinners isn't to get rid of you, isn't to ignore you. The biblical way to remind yourself of the gospel, that's the way to not let it swing all the way back. Preach the gospel. It was when you were sinners, Christ loved us. All the way back in Deuteronomy, God's love and the individual were never at odds. Deuteronomy just said, you were the least. It had nothing to do with you. I loved Israel just simply because I wanted to. They were the least. They had nothing. They didn't do anything to earn it. It was simply because I loved them, but I loved them. And so here, Paul does the same thing. He says, you didn't deserve it. You didn't come halfway. You didn't have anything in you that deserved that love. I was lost and dead. I was law-keeping. I was hating God. But the Son of God loved me. Paul says it elsewhere in Romans 5.8. He says this, but God shows His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. We were weak, we were enemies, and God loved us. That's gracious, unmerited love. So God still gets all the glory. He still has his rightful place while showing us his love. We can have both. We actually need both to live by faith. That God doesn't expect me to keep on earning his love. I have it. Not because I earned it, simply because he wanted to give it to me. In love, he predestined me for adoption, all to the praise of his glorious grace. They are not at odds, so let's not separate what the gospel has brought together in Jesus Christ. Jesus loves sinners. And if your faith is in him, you can say, Jesus loves me. And if you want to live by faith, that's where you start. Jesus loves me. You know the song, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's right here. Galatians 2.20. Who loved me? Do you see what angels long to see? A love they'll never know. This is it right here. Which means Jesus loves me isn't just a kid's song. It's an anthem for adults as well. Sing it every morning when you get up. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And how do we know Jesus loves us? Because of the second thing highlighted at the end. So the why is the gospel. The first is Jesus loved me. The second thing highlighted at the end of verse 20 is Jesus gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself for me. As someone said of you, or maybe you've heard it said of someone else, they're a very giving person. Usually we mean they're very generous with their time or their money. They do a lot. They don't really think about themselves. They're always kind of giving, giving, right? When Paul says Jesus gave himself for me, that's not what it means. The verb here is also used in the New Testament when Jesus is handed over from, by the uh, religious leaders to the Roman authorities for death when then Pilate hands Jesus over to the soldiers to be crucified. And in a similar way, with the similar verb, Paul then says Jesus does that. He doesn't just give things he gave. He hands himself over to be crucified for sinners while they were still his enemies. He gave himself. That's how you know Jesus loves you. That's why we sing amazing love How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's how we know. They're rhetorical questions because it's true. Yes, it is amazing love. Because yes, our God, the Son of God, died for us. He loved me and gave himself for me. And that's love, isn't it? That's how you know it's love and real love. And this is the Son of God who did this. He loved me and gave himself for me. Now, that's the gospel why of living in faith. He loved us and gave himself for us. But in saying that's the why, I want to point out in closing that we must never let that lead us into guilt and shame. Jesus loved you and gave himself for you, so you better No, this truth frees us from guilt and shame to a life in Christ. And and I find the phrase, he died for me, I'll live for him. You heard that? He died for me, I'll live for him. I find that a tad problematic. Because I don't know about you, but I often fail to live for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. And one problem with failing (laughs) to live for the one who loved me and gave himself for me because I still am in the flesh the old self still still rears its ugly head and I live in a fallen world when I fail I can begin to think that though God loved me while I was a sinner before sinning after he saved me must diminish his love for me that God's love for me is tinged with disappointment when that old self rears its ugly head and I just can't hold it together he loved me oh, I gotta live for him and too often that then leads us back to trying our hardest to get it together. I'll figure it out. I'll do harder. I'll try harder. I'm so sorry. Rather than walking the path of verse 20, what does verse 20 tell us to do? Even in those moments, when we do still sin, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. It's the gospel. Verse 20, brothers and sisters, ensures God's absolute love for you. That's why we sang that song that Dan wrote. Beautiful lyrics right before. When you are sin, how do you know that God still loves you? Because it doesn't change the fact that Jesus loved you and still gave himself for you. In fact, verse 20 assures you that God isn't wondering how you can keep falling short after all he's done for you. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah how are you still like this? You got saved 50 years ago. How are you still doing this after all God's done for you? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever heard those whispers? That's the devil, brothers and sisters. It is. It's not the Holy Spirit. The devil brings condemnation, but the Spirit brings conviction. And those are two different things. The devil condemns, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is conviction. And conviction leads to repentance and turning to Jesus. So you know it's not the Holy Spirit at work when you look to yourself or anywhere else other than Jesus when you're confronted with sin. I can't believe I keep doing this. I'll do better tomorrow. I, 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 I. That's a false gospel. As false as the Judaizers preached to the Galatians. That's heading back into the basement when the house is still yours. So you live by faith in those moments. That I can't diminish God's love for me because I can't earn God's love for me. I didn't in the first place, so I can't lose it now because I have a sufficient Savior and His powerful blood covers me And now I live, even when I sin, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in fact, that actually has the power, as we'll see later in Galatians, to actually lessen the power of sin over you. It frees you from guilt and shame. It helps you live a life alive to God. I love how Dane Ortland puts it in his book Gentle and Lowly. He says this. He says, if you are in Christ, and only a soul in Christ would be troubled at offending him, your waywardness does not threaten your place in the love of God any more than history itself can be undone. The hardest part has been accomplished. God has already executed everything needed to secure your eternal happiness. And God did that while you were an orphan. God did that while you were his enemy. God did that while you were still a sinner. He did that while you were an orphan. Nothing can unchild you now, not even you. Because you didn't save yourself in the first place. So, those in Christ are eternally imprisoned within the tender heart or love of God. And that's the freedom and life found in verse 20. It's the freedom and life verse 20 points us to in calling us to live by faith. That we now live free and alive in Christ, all by grace, because Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. So, friend, If you hear God's voice today, do not harden your heart. Turn to the Savior who loves sinners and gave himself for them. And brothers and sisters, come out of the basement and walk daily in faith in Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you. Let's pray. Our Father, as we turn to the table to reflect on the great love Jesus has for us, pray you give us eyes to see what angels long to see. To taste what angels long to taste. To be wrapped up and embraced in that which angels long to be embraced by. The love of the Son of God who gave himself for us. So in these moments remind us afresh and anew. Of that deep love you have for us. That we may give you all praise and glory for it while reveling in the fact that you set your love upon us. So that we might be reconciled back to you to live with you eternally, both now and forever. So as we come to this table, knowing that our place at it is all by grace. May we not only give you all the glory, but bow your spirit, help us revel in our Savior who loved us and gave himself for us, I pray. Amen.